0: Lord Jesus, may you open our eyes anew this morning. May we see your word in a new and fresh way. May we experience your presence in a new and fresh way this morning. May we come away a different people than walked in this morning. Come and do your transforming, powerful work in us, we pray, that the world would see that where you are, things are different. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last couple weeks, uh, we have been working through some kingdom questions. Uh, We've spent a little over the last year working through the book of Mark. uh, And as we finish the book of Mark, I wanted to spend some time uh, just making sure we caught what Jesus was about. And one of the things as we walked through the book of Mark that we just kept hearing about as Jesus would teach when he would come into a new place after he would work a miracle, the kingdom just kept coming up. His teachings were the kingdom of heaven is like and then he would tell parable after parable after parable trying to illustrate it. He would come to a place and he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He would have conversations with people. And as they began to understand who he was and what he was about, he would say, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. But the kingdom is not something that we talk much about in the church. Well, I haven't until recently. I'm trying to change that. But for something that Jesus spent so much time talking about, illustrating, moving into, the church has kind of let it sit off to the side. And so I want to spend some time just focusing on it. So we've been asking some kingdom questions. Kingdom questions like, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? And here was my definition for it. Everywhere the the will of the king is done. The kingdom of God is about submitting to the king. Like Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And one of the things that we talk a lot about in this church is kingdom life. And so we asked, what is kingdom life? Again, my definition, citizens of the kingdom in love with the king, living and loving like the king through the power of the king. Real quick, who's the hero of that story? The king, right? We're to be about kingdom life, which is about his work, becoming like him through his power. He's the hero of the story. We ask the question, who is kingdom life for? And if you remember there was the, the phrase kingdom life is an all skate. Kind of went back to those days some of us growing up at the skating rink and there was those times if you were not good at skating like me where you were kind of politely asked to step out because maybe it was couple skate and you came alone. <laughs> maybe uh, there was that time I didn't know what they called it but it was basically if you're a professional this is the time for you and it was all the people that could skate backwards and skate through each other's legs and do crazy tricks. And your job, if you were like me, was to stand outside and to go, ooh, ah, and to clap. But then there was that beautiful time when they would, all the lights would come up and say, this one's an all skate. And it meant everybody was invited out. Oftentimes we treat the kingdom as if it's our job to stand outside and watch those professionals go, ooh, ah, look at what they do. But what we find in scripture is that kingdom life is an all skate. Every believer is invited, in fact, called, equipped, and commanded to get out there and to skate. We talked about the priesthood of all believers. Every single one of us that is a follower of Christ is called a royal priest, sent out to represent the king, to live kingdom life out loud in front of a watching, waiting world. This next one was kind of a weird question. I couldn't find a better way to do it. When is kingdom life? Like, when do we clock in? When do we clock out? What counts as far as the kingdom? Many of us were taught kingdom happens Sunday morning, maybe Wednesday evening, when you pray before your meal and when you pray before bed. That's when God's kind of paying attention. That's when he's watching. That's what he cares about. The rest of the time is yours. It's just your job. It's just school. It's just watching a football game. But what we find actually in scripture is that kingdom life is whole life. The kingdom is about your every waking moment. It is Monday through Sunday evening, and then it starts all over again. There is nothing in life where the king goes, yeah, I don't care about this as much because you just work at the school. You just work at the hospital. You just work at home. So what you do isn't as important. Or, hey, it's just your leisure time. I'm not really into that. I'll see you on Sunday. That's how many of us treat it. But what we find in the scripture is that kingdom life is whole life. There is nothing in life where the king isn't sovereign, where the king doesn't care, where he's not moving, where he doesn't hope to use that time to make you more like him. Kingdom life is a whole life endeavor. And this morning, we're going to, we're going to look at two questions. I think two of the most important questions, how and why, how do we get involved in kingdom life? We've talked about what it is and started to define it, but now how do we actually begin to get involved in kingdom life? First, I wanna be very clear with this. Many of you have heard this before. I try to be so clear with it. Kingdom life begins at adoption. Kingdom life begins when we are invited into the kingdom. I don't want you to hear any of the things that we've talked about or will talk about and go, okay, so if I just start applying some principles, eventually I'll get good enough at this kingdom stuff that the king goes, fine, you're in. Kingdom life begins with what he did and when we put our faith in what he did. That is when we are born again, as Jesus would say, into the kingdom of God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter two, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. it is a God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so that we should walk in them. Kingdom life is not something you do to gain entrance. It's a way of life for those that are already citizens of the king. It begins with your faith in his grace. God has done the work through what Jesus did on the cross, through raising again from the dead. He has done the work. And when we put our faith in that, when we trust in that, submit to that, we are born again into the kingdom. Now he says, let's get to work. It is never this earning thing where we get good enough at doing the kind of things that Jesus did and eventually God goes, man, I'm impressed, come on in. You can't work hard enough, you can't impress him. I love the way that Paul says it. This is not of yourselves, it's his gift. It's not from works, why? So that no one can boast, no one can take credit for it. I earned my way in here, or even I snuck in when they weren't paying attention. It is by faith through his grace that we are adopted into the kingdom. So so how do we get involved in kingdom? It all begins there. Have I truly put my faith in what Jesus Christ has done on my behalf? Or am I trying to earn it? Am I trying to show God how good I am? I'm trying to attend church enough that he goes, wow, that's impressive. Come on in because that's never gonna happen. It begins simply by adoption. He does the work, he calls us in, he invites, we simply walk after him and step through. Then the kingdom work begins. Notice the order here, you're saved by grace through faith. Why? For we're his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared ahead of time. First we enter in and now he goes, cool, I've actually set some things up that you're really going to enjoy. Let's get to work. It's not the other way around. Does that make sense, church? Never confuse that. So many have gotten into trouble when we confuse those things by faith through his grace. So many of us, most of us, have heard that before, have internalized that. We go, yes, it's by grace through faith. And now we're in. And here's the question we're asking. How do we get more involved in kingdom life? Many of us, what we do is we take that initial step and we go, sweet, I'm born again, and then we sit down. I'm, I'm in the kingdom, yay, and then we sit down. How do we continue to take more steps? How do we continue to get more involved in kingdom life? We must embrace a new kingdom lens. This part gets a little silly for me, and we'll see if I can read with these on. Here's the thing we have to understand. You guys look very different right now. We all walk through life with lenses on. We all walk through life with a pair of colored glasses on that change the way we see the world, that filter what we see and what we don't see. Think about this. Uh, All of the times maybe if we would all get up and go to a football game, We'd all watch the same game. We'd come out of the game and somebody interviewed each and every one of us. What did you see? What was it like? How many different answers would they get? As many different people as we in the room, right? How many people, uh, they see a car crash and then they start interviewing witnesses and they start getting all kinds of different stories. Not like one's lying and said there was no crash and the other said, yeah, there was. But the things that people notice The things that stick out to them that they remember are different from person to person. And some people are going to notice something that somebody else filtered out. I never even saw that. I never even thought about it. We all watched the same thing, but we have these these glasses on, these lenses on, that filter what we see. They change what we see and they determine the things that we don't see. Where, where do we get these lenses from? They come from our family of origin. They come from uh, our culture, our, our Western American culture. Or if we grew up in the Middle East, we'd have very different lenses on. They come from our church background. One of the things that we've talked about before, how these lenses affect our lives, is when we read scripture from our Western American culture, every time in the New Testament we're reading it, and it says you what do, who do we assume Paul's talking to, or Peter's talking to, or James is talking to? Me. What our culture has taught us, we come from an individualistic culture. It's all about the individual, individual rights. Being an individual is, is praised, and it's, it's one of those things that's lifted up. They pick themselves up by their bootstraps, a self-made man. And we, we bring that same lens, oftentimes, into our relationship with God. And we go, it's about me and my relationship with Jesus, It's about me being transformed to look like Jesus. It's about me growing in the character of Jesus and and letting the fruit of the Holy Spirit be produced in my life. The Bible was written in this collectivist uh, kind of culture where the collective, the group, was more important than the individual. And so when Paul or Peter or James, unless they're specifically talking to somebody, hey, Timothy, and then they'd write something, when they say you... What are they actually saying? I hate it, but y'all shouldn't be a word, but somehow snuck in there. But this is the one place where it's actually helpful. English has not helped us at all. You can mean like eight different things. But when Paul wrote these things, what he was saying was y'all grow in the character of Christ, y'all produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, y'all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But if we're not aware of the lenses that we have on, if we're not aware of the natural bent because of the culture we grew up in that says it's about the individual, we will completely miss it. And we will read the same New Testament as they read 2,000 years ago and come away with a completely different meaning than what they had. Do you understand that? Do you see that? So we all have these different lenses on. And these lenses, if we're not careful, can cause us to miss out on what the king is doing if we're not aware of the lenses that we have on, we will miss what the king is doing. Let me illustrate this. In John chapter nine, we're gonna read through most of the chapter, uh, which is one of the things in preaching school that I never went to, that I think they tell you not to do. Just read large passages of scripture. But this story is so key. So we're gonna read in John chapter nine, we'll have it up on the wall here. And just follow along through the story, and then we're going to come back and break it down. Look at the lenses that people have on, the ways that they approach Jesus. As he, he being Jesus, was passing by, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from his saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. And that's where the story ends, and it's happily ever after, and everyone just praised God, and they threw a party. No, no. His neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he's the one. No, others were saying, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Therefore they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked, I don't know, he said. They brought the man, who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. So again, the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. You can start to see the guy getting a little exasperated, having to tell the story again. He put mud on my eyes. He told them, I washed and I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, "'How can a sinful man perform such signs?' And there was division among them. "'Again,' they asked the blind man, "'What do you say about him since he opened your eyes?' "'He's a prophet,' he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received his sight. They they thought, there's no way, this guy's lying to us. Until they summoned the parents of the one who had received sight. They asked him, "'Is this your son, the one who you say was born blind?' How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents said, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews has already agreed that anyone who confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind, and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you're trying to teach us, and then they threw him out. Not the happy ending you would expect from where that story begins. A kingdom miracle is done, and it ends up with a man being excommunicated from his community. So let's look at some of the groups of people and some of the lenses that they had on that caused them to miss the kingdom, that caused them to miss what God was doing. Let's start with the obvious one, the Pharisees. The Pharisees viewed everything in life through this lens of legalism. Legalism comes from adding on to scripture. Essentially, you're saying, God didn't do a good enough job of spelling things out and we need to help him along a little bit. God didn't put enough rules and boundaries around it, so we need to add some to it. And it goes downhill from there. The the saying of someone viewing life through the lens of legalism is God would never move in a way that I wouldn't move. In legalism, you become the standard by which everyone else is judged. You and God agree on everything, and anyone that disagrees with you is obviously in sin because obviously they disagree with God. Often legalism comes from applying one's personal convictions to everyone else. The, the Pharisees were especially rigid with the Sabbath. They protected this day that God had set aside. They took what the scripture said about the Sabbath, a day to remember the Lord's provision, a day to rest, a day where you didn't go to work because you were, you were remembering on that day, even though everyone else is working and I'm not, my God has me. He will provide for me even though I'm taking a day off, which was unheard of in their culture. They took this and they changed it into something completely unrecognizable. I don't doubt that they started looking at it and go, somebody hundreds of years before said, you know, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And I know myself, if I pick up a hammer, I'm gonna start working. And so I need to make a rule for me, no hammers on the Sabbath. But then it kind of transformed into, so therefore if you pick up a hammer on the Sabbath, you're a sinner and you're a Sabbath breaker what was meant for me to keep me safe, and which was probably a good thing, because I know myself, but then when it starts getting applied to everybody else, we start adding rules on. There was this thing, Jesus got in trouble one time for walking with his disciples, and as they were walking by wheat, they just kind of ran their hands through, picked off some head, uh, heads of grain, rubbed it like this, and just ate the wheat germs, and they said, Sabbath breaker. How dare you? You and your disciples are all sinners there was probably a guy somewhere along the road who was a farmer and went, look, I know myself. If I even go out and start touching the wheat, I'm gonna start harvesting the wheat. I gotta make a rule. No wheat for me on the Sabbath. Can't even touch it. And then somewhere along the lines, it became this. So therefore, no one can. Because to do this, they said was harvesting. You were working on the Sabbath. You were guilty of a sin punishable by stoning to death. For this, they had this legalism, always adding rules. Jesus talked to the Pharisees at one point and he says, How dare you? You put these weights on men that are unliftable and you don't even move a finger to help them. They just kept adding. They obviously viewed the Sabbath through a different lens than Jesus. This should have been a day of of rejoicing, of praising God, of feasting. Talk about a holy day. They had never even heard of a man born blind from the moment he was born, couldn't see. Now, however, we don't know how old the man is, but we know that he was a man and he could see. This should have been such a day of rejoicing. But instead what we find, Verse 13, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. So again, the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. Jesus made a couple mud pies, and they were truly ready to stone him to death. I mean, think about it. He spit on the ground, bent down, and did this. Sabbath breaker, how dare he? They were viewing what God was doing through the wrong lens, and they missed it. A few verses later, so a second time they summoned the man who was born blind and told him, Give glory to God. That was a way of like making him swear an oath. Tell the truth, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. We've already decided it. He doesn't fit what we see as a man of God. He doesn't follow our rules, even though they're not in the scripture. He doesn't do things the way that we do it. Therefore, he must be against God. And the man answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to open your eyes? How did he open them? And they have that whole back and forth where the guy goes, Man, you guys are pretty interested. You want to follow him too? Which is the wrong thing to say to a Pharisee if you're ever standing around with one. And it ends with them saying, you were born entirely in sin. You're trying to teach us? And they threw him out. They had a very different lens than Jesus and it caused them to miss the kingdom happening right in front of them. Let's look at the friends and family in this story. How did they respond to what Jesus was doing? They were viewing things through what I'm calling a lens of security. There was this whole thing that like, it starts with God would never move in a way that I couldn't understand. They saw what God did and they went, it's too big. That's impossible, that's crazy. To be honest, I'm kind of scared of a God that can do that. And so there's gotta be some other explanation here. His neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said he's the one. No, others were saying, but he, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. And therefore they asked him, how are your eyes open? And he, he tells them the whole story. You ever heard the, the old saying, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, what is it? No, 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 it just looks like a duck. It's another animal. It's a, they had known this man his entire life. He sat in the same place begging for the same thing every day, And now here he is able to see, and they're going, no, 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 that just looks like Jeff. Uh, That sounds a lot like Jeff. No, couldn't be. That looks exactly like him. Yeah, he might have a twin. Everyone, you know, you go to another town and you see someone that looks just like your friend, bald in a beard. I have doppelgangers everywhere. It just looks like him. Uh, He keeps jumping up and down and saying, I'm Jeff, I'm Jeff. No, it's gotta be something else. They couldn't even begin to perceive what God would do because it was terrifying. It's too big. It's too much. It makes me too out of control. If he can do that kind of stuff, who am I? And so they start to come up with any other excuse or explanation that they can find. They were the ones that took him before the Pharisees. When it said they took him to the Pharisees, All of his friends and family were like, you go go answer to them for what you did. Seeing. How dare you? They took him to the Pharisees because they just couldn't come. There has to be another explanation here. We have got to get to the bottom of this. There's no way that a guy just put mud on his eyes and now he can see. Impossible. They were completely missing it because their view of God was so small Because let's be honest, it's terrifying. A God that can just do whatever he wants when he wants is terrifying in the best and sometimes worst feeling ways. His parents were saying, God would never move in a way that costs me something. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned his parents, until they summoned, excuse me, the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked him, Is this your son? The one you say was born blind, how then does he now see? Look at their response. We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees. We don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. Did you hear the thump thump? They threw him under the bus is what happened there. Did they have a thought on what happened? Did they hear the story that this man named Jesus came and put mud on his eyes? Yeah, but they went, oh no. Oh no. It's gonna cost too much to say anything. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews has already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. Banned from the synagogue doesn't just mean you have to go find a new church. It was you're no longer a Jew. You're no longer allowed to be a part of this community, potentially no longer allowed to work anymore. Your family is not your family anymore. This was a putting out that would happen, his parents looked at that and it says, this is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They were so concerned about what it would cost them that they threw their own son under the bus on what should have been the best day. Can you imagine, those of you that have children, if your child was born completely blind and years later can see, how would you respond? You'd, You'd be overjoyed, right? These parents were in such fear They were in such self-protection, security mode that they went, nope, can't even look at it. Can't even give an answer for it. We should be so excited. We, We should be like, kick us out. I don't care, he can see. But they were so concerned with their own security. They viewed everything through the lens of what's this gonna cost me? That they threw their own son under the bus. They missed the kingdom in their midst because they had the wrong lenses on. The disciples, we beat up on the disciples, but they give us plenty of reason. They were viewing everything through a a good lens, a right lens, the lens of theology. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You could almost see him stroking their chins. Yes, Rabbi, let's, let's talk about this. Why, Rabbi, is this happening to this man? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. Here's the thing. I love Jesus' answer so much that sometimes I can kind of gloss over just what a savage scene this is. They're walking by this man born blind, sitting there, he's letting his need be known. Please, help me. Do you have any money? I need some help. I can't see anything. Can you help me? And they stop right in front of him and go, hey, Jesus, who's to blame for this guy's situation? And you can almost see Jesus going, you know he can hear you, right? What, this is not the time for that. What are you doing? They were asking who's to blame. Here's the lens that Jesus had on. What's God up to? They were going, Jesus, let's, let's use this man as an object lesson. Teach us. Certainly this is illustrating something, Jesus. Why is this man like he is? And Jesus is going, help him. This has happened so that God's work might be displayed in his life. Stop talking about it and help him. Who's to blame? No, 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 no. What is God up to? what is God doing in this situation? The disciples, like many today, would have sat around and gone, well, what does it really mean to help this man? And we gotta get to the bottom because if he's to blame, maybe we shouldn't help him. I don't know. And Jesus was going, you're completely missing it. Think of everything the disciples had been through up to this point, all of the miracles they had seen and even done themselves And they see this man crying out for help. And they stop right in front of him and go, Jesus, let's have a theological debate. Help him. He's crying out for help. You have the keys to the kingdom. What are you doing? They tried to turn this man into an object lesson. Theology has its place and it's incredibly important. But theology by itself is useless. It's actually destructive. To the kingdom of God. Because we will sit around discussing it till the cows come home. Meanwhile, pardon my French, to hell with the people over there. Until we get this thing figured out and we're going to argue amongst ourselves. And yeah, I know it says very plainly in scripture that we're supposed to help those in need. If somebody asks, we're supposed to give. But let's sit and talk. Is it Theologically, is it right to give? I mean, sure, they asked for a shirt and I've got 10. But is it right to give it to them? What are we doing? Help him. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Later in the same book, Paul says, now about food sacrificed to idols. This was a debate that they were having constantly arguing with each other. I'm right. No, I'm right. we got to understand it. Paul says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Right thinking that doesn't lead to right action is useless. It's actually worse than useless. It's dangerous. When all we're pursuing is I have to understand these things right but it's not actually showing itself in my life, I've lied to myself. I've got the wrong lenses on and I am missing the kingdom. The disciples viewed what was happening in a very different way than Jesus. This has happened that God's work might be put on display. Help him. We must embrace a new kingdom lens. So how do we do this? This is a passage that I bring up a lot, just kind of in passing. It's, it's one of my heart passages. It just speaks to me. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, would you search my heart? Would you show me where I see things wrong? Would you show me where I've got the wrong lenses on? And then would you lead me in the way everlasting? Help me to see things the way you see them. Help me to see what's going on, not only in my own heart, but all around me the way that you see it. Because when I see it like you see it, my heart will begin to break like yours does. I will begin to move and to act like you do. If it's legalism, God, help me to set that down. To not choose being right, but to choose love. Lord, if it's security, I'm just so scared and what's it gonna cost me and it's just safer to sit here and, and we have this small view of God because it's safer, God, would you blow the walls out? I wanna see you like you really are. Test me, know me. If there is any offensive way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting God. Which leads to the last question. Why? Why get involved in kingdom life? We can talk about, again, we can be super theological and we can debate what it actually is and who it's for and how to even get involved. We can have these conversations till the cows come home. If we don't grasp the why, we're never getting anywhere. Why get involved in kingdom life? Here's the thing, as I was writing this, I was tempted to do what I would normally do and go, here's how it benefits you. Here's why you should get involved in kingdom life because it benefits you. Man, you, you will experience purpose like you've never experienced it before. And fulfillment like you've never known before. Peace, life, a sense of belonging. When you partner with the king and what he's doing, you have never experienced a sense of belonging like that. Like Ephesians chapter two says, eight through 10, for grace you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, Created by him for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. You will never experience life like when you're doing what you're created to do. But then I started thinking this, I don't just want to teach that because who is the hero of that story? You. What do I get out of this? Why should I serve him? How does it help me? Kingdom principle number one, it's not about you. It's not about me. The whole point of the kingdom is it's not about me, it's about the king and what he's doing. So I started looking at the story again, and I found a very different reason in this story. Jesus wasn't living out the kingdom because, man, look at what good it does me. What happened? He had more people throwing rocks at him. He had more people going, he's a sinner. More people were convinced that he was evil because he did this work than were convinced that before. This didn't, quote unquote, help Jesus. Jesus. On that day, because of the actions of the king, a blind man received his sight. Someone else was helped. And not only did this blind man receive his sight physically, which is an incredible miracle like none other, he was given a whole new lens through which to view his world. Look at what happens after this man is kicked out of his community. He's now a pariah, an outcast. When Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, he found him and asked him, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. And Jesus answered, you've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Fancy waves going, it's me. I believe, Lord, he said. And he worshiped him. Talk about receiving your sight. Watch this lens change that happened through the whole story. First, they come and they're asking him, hey, what happened? What happened? Verse 11, he answered them, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, told me to go and wash. I did and I received my sight. At first, Jesus is just this guy. Look, I don't know, this man showed up and now I can see. He has some time to think about it and the Pharisees call him in and they're starting to grill him. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. Jesus is kind of getting an upgrade in the way this man is thinking a few verses later, they start really coming back at this guy, and he's a sinner, he's got to be. And he answered, whether, he, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. The one thing I know is I was blind and now I can see. Look, I'm more confused than I was before. He was a guy, than he was a prophet. I have no idea, but here's where I know. Where he is, things are different. I was blind and now I can see. Call that whatever you want. I want more of it. You can start to hear it in this guy. And then afterwards, Jesus finds him and he says, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the Messiah. And he said, I believe, Lord. And he worshiped him. Talk about right thinking leading to right action. He begins to see Jesus as he truly is. To call him Lord there is to, to recognize him. You're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the King and you don't worship anyone but God and he falls down and he worships him i see him as he is and the only natural reaction is this outpouring of love for him why get involved in kingdom life because there are blind people all around us that need to receive light or need to receive sight and we're the ones called to give it to them is it going to cost you to be involved in kingdom life it is like it would have cost the parents had they stood up. Like it did cost that man who in pursuit of Jesus said, I, I'm not going to call him a sinner. I'm not going to say what happened didn't happen. I don't know what to say. All I know is I was blind and I can see. And it cost him and it will cost you. But are the people around you worth it? Your sons and your daughters, your neighbors, your co-workers... They are walking around spiritually blind in need of someone to come and work a miracle in their life. In need of someone to boldly come and live the kingdom out in front of them and go, look, I don't know what you believe, but here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. Do you want to see too? If we're not willing to live that out, then to hell with them. That's what we're saying. They need you to live out the kingdom. They need you to live in love with the king, to love like the king. And they need to see the power of the king put on display in your life. They're desperate for it, whether they know it or not. They're blind and groping around in the dark and you have the keys to set them free. We must be involved in kingdom life. We have to press in. They need it. Lord Jesus. My heart is moved by this story, God. I think of those in my life that are blind. Friends and family. Some of them don't even know it. Your heart breaks for them and God, so does mine. I want them to have every opportunity, repeated opportunities to be born into the kingdom, to get to partner with the king. May I live in such a way, God, that puts the kingdom on display. May I see things as you see them. And may I be drawn to live like you, that others may see, that the blind would see. God, there's going to be times when we stumble and we can't answer the questions and all we have is, I don't know, but I was blind and now I see. You used it then, God, and you can use it now. Would you give us boldness? I think of Acts chapter 4, where where the disciples are pressed and they pray. God, would you give us boldness to speak on your behalf? And would you reach out your arms and work signs and miracles and wonders? May we move in boldness, God, trusting that you're going to do what only you can do. That the blind would receive their sight, I pray. That the kingdom would be advanced in our communities, in our home, in our state, in our country, because your people stand up and say, I was blind and now I can see and you can't take it from me. So move, Lord Jesus, in us, I pray. It's in your name. Amen.